I'm Cassandra Moriarty, lactation consultant, fertility educator, and proud Jersey girl. Hi, I'm Grace Emily Stark, women's health writer and editor, and a native Texan currently exiled to San Diego. We're bringing you conversations about fertility, wellness, and health to your kitchen table, morning commute, or kids nap time. Get comfortable and settle in. This is the Natural Womanhood Podcast. Hi, hi. Welcome back. Today, we're going to be interviewing Julia Hogan, a regular contributor to the Natural Womanhood blog. She's a psychotherapist, and we'll be talking about authentic self-care and how it plays into your cycle. Well, hello, Julia. I've never... That's not true. We spoke on Instagram Live a while ago. We did. Um, So we have have kind of met. Yes, Um, yes. It's good to see you again. Where are you located again? I'm in Chicago. Chicago, that's right. Yes. Yes. Is it, and is I was it, just telling my friend Brie Jastrzewski that I was doing this and she was oh, like, oh my yeah. gosh, I know Cassie. And I was like, Cassie needs to have you on this podcast. <laughs> Actually, that would be, well, we interviewed Anna Halpine, who is oh, a creator okay. of them. So yeah. her and Brie are, are close, obviously. And I've known Brie for years. Um, I wish I knew her better. But she does a lot of really incredible work uh, for Femme. She does. Yeah. Well, season two. Yeah, there you yeah. go. You're in need. She will be perfect. Next time. <laughs> yeah, I've already started thinking of some people because we already we we have all the rest of our episodes for this season uh-huh. planned out. But I imagine we'll probably do a second season. Yeah, I hope we will. Great. It all depends yeah, that- on the listeners. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Show How many support. episodes are you doing in this season? Eight. Okay. Yeah, I think you're the seventh, actually. I think we are Ooh. doing our last one next week. So, oh, wow. Yeah. And how long does the editing process take? Uh, my sister does it because oh, she's cool. an Austin, Texas based editor. Okay. And she's been doing, she mostly does like video mm-hmm. and uh, photo type stuff, but she's agreed uh-huh. to do the audio editing for us. And she's oh, done a really great job of it. She's going to hear me talking about her later when I she edits this. So. I am recording. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she goes through and she, if we say, um, too many times, she edits all those out. Cause oh, I guess cool. she's been telling me, she like told us after our first episode, like you guys need to really watch it on the ums because she said, when you're watching on somebody on video that you can cover up a lot of manner of audio sins when you have video to accompany it because it's distracting but when all you have is the audio um it needs to be like Um. pristine (laughs) yeah there we go because there's nothing else to distract you so the ums and the things like that become she she told us like don't say um if you're trying to gather your thoughts pause because pauses are a lot easier to get rid of than ums And they, they sound a lot more natural. It just, yeah. So just pro tip, if you ever do any kind of recording, (laughs) do a pause instead of an, um, yeah. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining us. I have spoken with you before on Instagram live, but you're also an incredible writer for natural womanhood. And I love your perspective as a, is your title, so what do you prefer to be called? Like licensed therapist or a counselor or what does your, you know, uh, license in? I usually, so my, my actual term for my license is a licensed clinical professional counselor. So LCPC, but that's kind of a mouthful. I usually say that I'm a therapist and, but one of the funny things, and I think other fellow therapists can commiserate with me on this is 
there are lots of different types of therapists. So often in my mind, I'm thinking mental health therapist is the first thing that comes to mind for me when I hear the word therapist. But most of the time people will ask me if I'm a physical therapist or Mm. a massage therapist or whatever. So I've taken to saying like, oh, I'm a mental health therapist or I'll say uh, I'm a counselor. And then that usually helps people zero in on what I actually do. But it's just funny because it's I'm in the world of mental health. So I naturally assume that that's what other people are going to think right. of when they hear yeah. therapist. And then I'm reminded there's lots of other different types of therapists out there. But therapist and counselor, you can use interchangeably. Okay. And I'd love to hear the story of how you came to fertility awareness and like what came first, fertility awareness or your therapy work or, you know, I'd love to hear your journey. Yeah, I would say that it kind of happened in tandem, just because growing up Catholic, and particularly in graduate school, I went to the, at the time it was called the Institute for the Psychological Sciences, and they do a lot of faith, incorporate a lot of faith-based spirituality aspects into your training as a therapist. And so that was always, I think fertility awareness kind of goes hand in hand a lot of times with those sorts of discussions. So it was always something more, I would say, in the background. But then I think probably I became much more actively aware of fertility awareness, both in working with my clients and then also just personally wanting to have a better understanding of my body and how it works. And then also through just getting to know a lot of of people in the area. So for example, my friend Bree, who works with them and really hearing more about her experience and what she knows, and then just kind of like picking up information in there. So I feel like those kind of two areas of my life have sort of grown side by side or grown together, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And why did it, why did you like kind of feel this natural pairing with fertility awareness and mental health? Like, why was that even something? Cause I think a lot of people hear that and they're like your fertility and your mental health. They're like, how are those two related at all? Why would that be something you'd be thinking of in, you know, your therapy practice or even in schooling? So how did you make that connection between the two? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think for me, mental health is more about taking care of your overall mental and emotional well-being, I would say, rather than I have a diagnosis and I need to get rid of these symptoms, right? So I think that was kind of maybe where mental health and the understanding of mental health was a while back. And now we've shifted more to understanding this idea of taking care of your mental well-being, regardless of whether you have anxiety or depression, just kind of how am I doing? What kind of emotions am I feeling right now? What are those emotions telling me? All of those things are really important. And it's all about tuning into yourself, kind of doing like a temperature check. And so I think practicing fertility awareness using a fertility awareness-based method is another way of like tuning into yourself. How am I doing? So maybe it's not the mental, emotional side of things. It's more the physical side of things. But at the same time, it all has to do with that, like self-awareness. How am I doing right now? What's going on? What stressors in my life are influencing me? What am I doing well? Or what's really helping me to feel like my best self? And I think that's kind of where they dovetail uh, and they come together in in Mm -hmm. that area. Do you find that your clients already know about this information or do you ever kind of, I mean, I guess as a therapist, you can't like 
tell them, you know, what to do or anything, but um, what is their level of knowledge already with it, with fertility awareness in general? Gosh, I would have to say that I think the majority of my clients are kind of in the space where they feel frustrated because either they are on hormonal birth control or they're having some kind of reproductive issue going on, um, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's like really bad period pain or, you know, just something that they're feeling is affecting their quality of life, but they feel like they don't know what to do with that because either they're going to their provider who's telling them that they just, that's the way it is and there's nothing they can do about it or here, let's try this different form of hormonal birth control and let's see if that does anything, but just kind of a lack of knowledge about your cycle and what's happening in your cycle and how hormones can play a role in all of this. And, you know, I'm not the expert on that aspect of it, but I find in those moments when I'm with my client, I'm really encouraging them to advocate for themselves and to not just take a brush off as an answer or to just be told that this is the way it is, or there's nothing we can do, or this is your only option, but really encouraging them to kind of search for answers and consider that perhaps either there's another provider out there who's more supportive of them, who's more patient focused, or there is another way for them to improve their quality of life, particularly in this this area and better understand their bodies there. So I think that's kind of where most of my clients are. And then I do have a smaller number of them who are already practicing fertility awareness method. And I think for them, it feels just from what they've shared, like really empowering, you know, to be in a place where they can say, I know what's going on with my, my cycle. And I know that if I notice any changes, I have an instructor that I'm working with that I can go to, or they can work with me. Um, You know, if like, if I have a client who, if for example, if they've just had a baby, right. And then they're working with their instructor to figure out how do I chart and how does this all change now that I've had a baby, what are some things I need to look at? So I think that those are kind of the two camps I see my clients in as far as like fertility awareness, but most I think are feeling in that space where I think a lot of women are where it's, they're feeling frustrated. They're feeling the sense of, well, this isn't right. Or I'm just kind of feeling like I'm being brushed off by my doctor, my provider. I don't feel like I'm being taken seriously. And I'm feeling like I need to just sort of resign myself to this, uh, like this is my only option, or I guess this is just the way it is. And that's why I've written quite a few articles for natural womanhood about being assertive with your provider and the importance of, you know, advocating for yourself and watching out for signs of what is a supportive provider and what is a provider who maybe isn't has kind of lost sight of maybe the importance of patient focus and, and that sort of thing. Um, And I think that that's just something that I've seen in my clients where my heart goes out to them when they talk about, you know, sharing what they're struggling with, with a provider and then having that provider just kind of brush them off or tell them it's all in their head or they're making it up. And that just gets me like so frustrated. And so I channel that into, you know, articles and, and just, you know, encouraging people to not be afraid to advocate for themselves because you know, your body best. And I think when you're practicing a fertility, fertility awareness based method, you are, you have all of that data that you can use to help you know yourself even more, right? Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, fertility awareness can be a tool for 
checking in with yourself. Can you kind of explain that a little bit more for some of our listeners who might still be having trouble making that connection between fertility awareness and mental health? Because, you know, I mean, we all kind of know about PMS, right? And sure. and feeling kind of moody, like when your period's going to begin. But what beyond that can we learn about, you know, from checking in with ourselves and knowing where we're at mentally, emotionally, even physically, and, and pe- that pattern along with the cycle of our fertility. Yeah. So I think that, I think to give an example of that or to provide further clarity for that, you could maybe take a look at knowing where you are in your cycle can influence how you're feeling. So I think, I guess maybe to zoom out for just a quick second, there's not, there's usually not one reason why we're feeling a certain way, right? It's usually a combination of factors. So I definitely don't want to uh, make it sound like, oh, because of where you are in your cycle, that's why you're feeling anxious or that's why you're feeling kind of low or, you know, that those are the only reasons, right? That we're very complex as human beings and there could be many different factors. It could be, you know, the weather, what we ate that day, what's going on in our personal life. Like those can all influence how we feel too. But having an awareness of where you are in your cycle and to be just, I think the sheer practice of charting and writing down that data every day or multiple times a day really forces you to be in that space of awareness, right? Of what is going on right now, not just going on autopilot for your whole day where you wake up in the morning and you're rushing, 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 and you never have a time to pause and then you crash at the end of the night, right? Charting, even though maybe sometimes it feels like a lot or it feels annoying or it feels like a hassle, it's giving you that opportunity to just create some space in your day to cultivate that self-awareness and to say, well, how, what's going on right now with my body, but also as an invitation, I think to say, well, what's going on with me in general right now in this moment, how am I feeling? And then I think that when you have that self-awareness, you can recognize factors that are contributing to how you're feeling. So if you recognize, oh my gosh, I'm so stressed my shoulders are like, you know, up to my ears because they're so tense. Maybe this means I need to just do some stretches or take a walk or just take a couple deep breaths or remind myself that everything's going to be okay. This is, you know, and in, in my favorite thing to tell myself is, you know, in maybe like a week or a month or a year, I'm not going to remember the stressor. It's going to totally fade to the background right now. It seems important, but it <laughs> really is not going to be. So I think that just charting is an invitation to self-awareness. And then I think also you can, especially if you're working with an instructor, as you start to build up some data over several cycles and you're, if you're charting your mood at the same time, you can maybe see, oh, at these points in my cycle, I'm feeling more optimistic. I'm feeling more energetic or I'm feeling lower. I'm feeling low energy. I'm feeling, maybe I feel anxious at points in my cycle, or maybe I feel a more depressive symptoms at some point in my cycle and an instructor um, or a practitioner provider can help you see if maybe hormones are playing a role in that. If it really becomes like, oh my gosh, I'm not an anxious person and I'm just flooded with anxiety at this point in my cycle for several cycles now, like what's going on, right? Um, Because it's not, I think with mental health, that stigma and misunderstanding can be this idea of it's all in your head. And so it's less important or you're making it up or you're being dramatic, but we're learning that anxiety and depression and mental health is so many things contribute to it, right? So our hormones can play a role. What we eat can play a role. Um, 
the environment that we're in can play a role. Health issues like thyroid issues, right, can mimic symptoms of anxiety, can mimic symptoms of depression. So it's by by charting and by recognizing your, I shouldn't say recognizing, maybe just recording your mood during those, you know, during the day or once a day can help you kind of see if there's some sort of pattern going on within your cycle and if there's an issue that needs to be addressed. Um, I think another side of it too, more of maybe like a wellness focus side of it uh, is looking at, there's a lot of uh, articles I've seen recently about syncing your exercise routine to where you are in your cycle. So when are you doing more high intensity exercise? When are you doing something more gentle? Um, People talk about uh, like, nutrition in your cycle. So eating different foods at different to support your hormones in that cycle. Um, so I, and other people have talked about timing their work to where they are in their cycle. So, you know, if you're at a certain point where you're feeling uh, more energetic, more optimistic, maybe that's your project planning phase, you're really moving projects forward, other points in your cycle when you're more low energy or feeling more of that like hibernating phase, you're taking it easy, you're doing the super easy projects or you're maybe you're just answering emails or you know something like that. So I think you can take that mental health and fertility awareness where they dovetail and really use that to recognize issues, but then also use it as a springboard for just overall increased well-being and, and wellness in general. I, I love that distinction of, you know, these hormones that we're experiencing are just part of the narrative. It's not the end-all be-all, but they do play a part. And for some people, I think that those hormones are, you know, um, they play a bigger role than they do in other people. Um, sometimes it can be such an easy fix. You know, if, if they're able to take, for example, some progesterone supplementation or something that balances out those hormones, it's a really important piece, I find. I I do want to pivot a little bit and ask about, because you, you just finished a book. It's called, correct me if I'm wrong, It's Okay to Start With You. That's actually the one I've already written. So that one I, oh, I wrote and was another one. I have another one. And the title just came out, which I'm super excited about because it's really hard to have an untitled book where you're, you want right. to tell, you know, people ask, what's it called? You're like, I don't know. <laughs> There's no name. <laughs> but um, so, so the book I wrote in, I was published in 2018 is called It's Okay to Start With You. And that's all about authentic self-care. And I differentiate authentic self-care from just self-care in general, because I think that the way self-care is talked about in what you'll read on a lot of blogs and things, or or even in advertising, a lot of it is this like skincare is self-care, right? Like if I'm buying the latest serum, (laughs) then I'm practicing self-care, which it can be, right? I'm definitely not discounting that. But the self-care I talk about in my book goes deeper and it's really looking at recognizing that we all have this inherent worth as human beings. And when we're taking care of ourselves, we're recognizing that worth, we're honoring that worth. And then we're, by taking care of ourselves, our mental health, our emotional health, physical, relational, and spiritual health, we are better able to live out whatever mission or purpose we have on this earth um, to kind of go out and do good in the world. And when we're not taking care of ourselves, we're this like depleted form, right? Where we're running on, on fumes. We're not happy. We don't feel good about ourselves. We're not effective. And then we get frustrated. So taking that step back to really take care of ourselves is can actually make a really big difference. 
it sounds counterintuitive, right? In a culture where busyness is seen as being important or we have to always be doing something or achieving something to prove our worth. So this is a little bit of a, I would say like a countercultural viewpoint and looking at, well, we don't have to prove anything, right? Like we just have our worth by virtue of who we are as human beings. And so if we can recognize that, let go of that pressure to like perform and achieve and be perfect and really look at, well, what am I doing? Like, what gifts do I have? What talents do I have? How can I use those to do good in the world, but also take care of myself so I can do those things. Um, So it's a little bit of a book slash workbook you have some reflection questions in there some action items and then at the end you can create a self-care plan so uh, i have that one in there i need that (laughs) i will send you a copy cassie (laughs) i looked at my schedule today and i realized that we were interviewing you and i was like oh boy this is this is i i need to hear this (laughs) the universe is i still need to hear it too sometimes i flip through my book and i'm like oh my gosh i need to remember these things i'm getting i get stuck in these patterns and i have to suck myself out of it and remind myself i don't need to always be rushing it's okay to take a break and not everything has to get done at the same time right Um, so that and then my second book is really just kind of building off of that um theme in the first one so the my second book and it should be published later this year we're doing all the editing right now but it's called a work in progress which i love Mm. because we are all a work in progress and it's okay to be that right and it's all about kind of more of the skills that you need to really get closer and closer to being that authentic version of yourself. So to kind of let go of some of the things, like some of the chapters I have in the book are like knowing your purpose, knowing what your values are and making decisions according to your values, um, challenging any like unrealistic or faulty expectations that you have in life. Like I should do this or I should do that. Um, Looking at uh, boundaries and relationships. I do have a chapter on self-care in there. Uh, And there's a couple other chapters in there as well. But that's kind of like, it's all the things that I wish I had learned in school, basically, is Mm -hmm. is my little elevator pitch for the book. I'm like, I wish someone had taught me about identifying my values and making decisions in line with my values or, you know, what it means to set boundaries and why those are healthy to have and how do you actually do those things. So my book is just kind of a a gift to my past self, I guess, and hoping to share it with everybody else. And, and I think, you know, I don't specifically talk about fertility awareness in the book. I think there's a lot of overlap in that as well, you know, in that idea of what's important to you, really getting to know yourself. If a value in your life is, you know, taking care of yourself and taking care of your health, this is a great way to honor that. If it's, to be empowered and to know as much as you can about yourself and your health. Again, similar, but the idea of, of charting and and being in tune, creating that self like opportunities for self-awareness. So you really get to check in with yourself and see how you're doing. And I think that those all kind of fit together. Totally. I was going to say, Grace, if you wanted to no, say I just, anything, you've been um, quiet. <laughs> yeah, I, so I, this is, I, I'm just wary of going off on a not fertility awareness related tangent, but I, I kind of tend to bristle a little at the term self-care to be For perfectly sure. honest. Yeah. I feel it's 
been kind of co-opted to mm-hmm. 100%. mean a lot of different things that I don't necessarily agree with. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, it's been highly commercialized. Frankly. It's been commercialized yeah. and I mean, um, it's also kind of been, I have found in personal experience, been used as a term to justify being selfish. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, and, and what I was hearing you talk about, Julia, was that you focus on self-care, on taking care of yourself so that you can then pour back into others. Mm-hmm. We don't just take care of ourselves just so we can be like, okay, no, I'm all set and my life is wonderful because I'm, I'm taking care of myself and that's all. Right. We don't, we don't take care of ourselves just for ourselves, you know, right. and it's, it's, it's important to take care of yourself definitely, but we do it so that we can pour that back out into other people. Mm-hmm. And I, I see the ways it's been used to kind of like justify selfishness. Like I'm going to cancel plans with friends because, you know, I, I need the time for self-care. I'm going to, you know, and then kind of what you were speaking to, I'm going to justify this expensive purchase, you know, of this skincare product because it's self-care and things like that. And so I kind of tend to bristle at that, but that's where I think your idea of authentic self, self-care self and how, how do I take care of myself so that I can then pour it back into the people that I love and the people who rely on me is, um, is really meaningful. And I guess it isn't so unrelated to fertility awareness because our fertility is also the way that we, you know, it's how we create new life if we're looking to, you know, get pregnant and and have a family. So there are reasons to take care of our fertility for our own health, but also so that we can pour it back into the world to to pour new life back into the world if we're being called to, you know, being called to that. So that's just kind of my, that's why I was quiet. I was sitting there kind of chewing over all of that. Taking it all in. Yeah. No. Just, <laughs> I'm, right I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because that was actually, you kind of, Julia, you answered the question before I even asked it. Cause I was going to ask, well, how do you feel about that term self-care? Uh, I, it, <laughs> I totally am on the same page, you know, of, of needing to, to pour things out, you know, fill yourself up so you can pour it out. And to go back to that idea of like commitments, this also is kind of a tangent, but one of the things I'm trying to work on a lot is be really realistic about what I can commit myself to. And if I commit myself, then I have to show up and I can't back out unless of course, you know, something super dire happens. Sure. Um, But, you know, making commitments, showing up for those commitments and then being really realistic about what I can and can't commit to. And so don't commit upfront, you know, if you think you need self-care. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a sitter on Thursday for the first, this is like kind of a personal side, but I have a sitter on Thursday for my, I have a three month old and a five-year-old and I've just been running on fumes. I've been like totally like at my wits end. And I thought about this and I, I was like, what kind of self-care thing can I do for myself? But I was like, but I don't want to spend you know, like 200 bucks just, just to like, take care of myself. I don't really know where I'm going with all of this, but these are thoughts that I've been having. These are mom thoughts thoughts is what they are. (laughs) Truly. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) But I, I really truly cannot, you know, give to my kids if I have not taking care of myself. And I'm, I'm talking about the very, very basics here. I'm not talking right. about expensive skincare treatments, although that would be lovely. I would love a facial. <laughs> um, I need to eat food. Yes. I need to go to the bathroom. I need to like, 
have basic hygiene. Like these are things, you know, um, and furthermore, self, I'm sure you know all this and I can't wait to read your, both your first and second book. Self-care is a mental game, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's not, there's the physical self-care, but really for me, the mental self-care is how do I treat myself? How do Mm -hmm. I talk to myself? Do I talk to myself the way I, do I talk to my kids the way I want to be talking to my kids? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, Grace, your point of is self-care selfish? And then I think Cassie saying, you know, it isn't, it can feel like that treat yourself mentality, right? And I think those are, those are like the two biggest objections to self-care that I hear. And I think that that's why I, at first I just started, you know, I was talking about my book and saying, oh, self-care, self-care. And then I kind of realized, I think I need to add some kind of qualifier to it <laughs> so that I can differentiate that this isn't, this isn't like your typical self-care book, right? It's not fluffy. Uh, Cause one of the things that my editor and I talked about as we were working on that book was she made the really good point. She put it into words better than me. And she said, that, you know, self-care is really a discipline. Authentic self-care is it's making Mm -hmm. commitments to yourself to give yourself what you need so you can be the best version of yourself. And it's not in this sort of echo chamber, self-fulfilling bubble, right? Where you're just, you know, Grace, you made that point of, well, I feel good about myself or I feel pampered and rested. So all is right with the world, but that there's this, we, we're made to be in relationships with other people. We, we make commitments, like you said, Cassie, and our job is to take care of ourselves so we can show up for ourselves and for others in our lives, right? Like if you're mentally depleted and drained, you can't be there for the people in your life. But becoming like, like filling up your mental cup or however you want to say it isn't going out and buying the latest skincare serum or going and getting a massage or a pedicure. It can be for some people, like some people need to just get out of the house for 45 minutes, do something. And then, you know, like a pedicure, come back and they feel refreshed and revived. And like, if you can do that and that's for you, that's great. And I think that goes to another point, which is that self-care is personalized, right? It is not one size fits all. And so, you know, Cassie, for you, it might look like I, when the babysitter comes, I like actually make myself a meal and I sit down at the table and I eat it. And like, I feel amazing. Right. Whereas grace, it might be something different for you. It might be like reading a book or journaling or having a really deep conversation with someone or going out for a walk. So I think that when you are talking about self-care, it's recognizing that it's not one size fits all. And it's not just treating yourself because that is, it can, that can be selfish, right? If you are just canceling plans that you've made, a commitment that you've made because you just don't feel like it, uh, or something else better came up for you and you just, you know, kind of put it under the umbrella in the name of self care, it's not really self care, right? That's more like self indulgent. And I think that authentic self care is really looking at, Like, how are all my, like, let me do a temperature check on how I'm doing right now. How is my physical health? How is my mental health? Cassie, to your point, how am I speaking to myself? Am I being kind to myself? Am I talking to myself like I would talk to my best friend? Or am I being this super critical, harsh voice uh, inside my head? And I think for most of us, it's the latter and we have to work to be kinder to ourselves. Um, but how am I doing in relationships? Am I setting healthy boundaries with people? Uh, like Cassie, you said again, you know, am I 
saying yes to commitments that I can truly show up for? Or am I saying yes, because I'm afraid to say no, or because I'm not recognizing that I'm human and I have limits. And as much as I want to say yes to everything, I can't, that's my problem. I always, I'm like, yeah, sure. I want to do it. It would be so much fun. I would love to do this. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't have enough hours in the day. So I have to, my form of self-care is really sticking to my calendar. And I will put reminders in my calendar that will say like, do not schedule anything here because I know I'll be feeling Mm -hmm. optimistic at the time. And I'll, you know, try to squeeze another client in or commit to writing another article and find that I've overbooked myself and I can't, you know, fully show up for all of those things. So self-care for me, authentic self-care is, is relying on my calendar and being really honest with myself about what I can and can't do. So I think, I don't think it's as, it's a huge tangent away from fertility awareness because that is also a discipline, right? And that's a commitment that you make to monitoring and, and taking care of your body specifically your cycle and looking at how that's influencing your overall health, but that plays a role in your mental and emotional well-being, right? It plays a role in your physical health. It plays a role in your relationships too. And so I think that when you are giving yourself that opportunity to chart or you're working with an instructor, it's really a way of saying, you know, that I matter. I'm not just something that is like, uh, you know, I think some people will say like, I'll sleep when I die. Right. That's like classic busy, uh, you know, like overachiever mentality. And so I think sometimes doing something like charting is a way of saying, I am not just this like machine, right. Mm -hmm. That I'm influenced by my surroundings Mm -hmm. I'm influenced by what happens in my life. And sometimes that affects me in a negative way. And I will have this data that shows me that. And then that's an invitation to change, right? So self-care could be like making an appointment to talk to your instructor or your provider and seeing if you can get some kind of, um, you know, Cassie mentioned progesterone or something, if that's what's warranted for helping correct an imbalance in your cycle. That can be a form of self-care, right? Making sure that you are taking care of yourself so that you can be fully present for those things that you've committed to those people that you've committed to in your life. Right. So it is this sort of, it's not just this kind of me looking in the mirror and saying like, what feels good to me today. Right. Like, what do I feel like doing sometimes self-care looks like going to bed on time when you really want to stay up later and scroll through your phone, because that's the only time you get for yourself in the day. Right. Mm. Or self-care can look like you taking your baby and going out for a walk, even though you don't feel like it. And, but you might come back feeling energized and feeling better for being out in the fresh air and the sun and getting some vitamin D and all that stuff. Right. So I think, I think there's, I mean, I could talk all day about this as you can probably tell, but I think the main, the sort of main point is that I think shedding, shedding that notion that authentic self-care is easy or selfish or self-indulgent and in fact can be quite the opposite, but its main goal, its main focus is very similar to fertility awareness methods. And that is to really be in tune with how am I doing right now? And am am I Mm. taking care of myself so I can be the best version of myself so I can show up in in life and the commitments I've made and the relationships that I've had. Yeah, I I have two thoughts. One is it'll be really interesting to see. I think we had this like kind of global collective moment where our schedules for the first time were cleared, right? And that was March 15th, 2020. (laughs) And 
as we start, I don't know where I'm at. I can feel it. I can feel the post pandemic like fervor. Mm. We're ready. We're Mm -hmm. ready for the barbecues. We're ready for the pool parties. We're like ready for the vacations. And I can already feel my schedule kind of starting to, you know, uh, bubble and it's going to get, you know, even more. And so I I wonder, you know, have we learned anything? Will we, will we pare back down our life? Probably not. We're probably going to just, it's going to be the roaring twenties, but in the 21st century, (laughs) my second thought, which is completely unrelated is that when you mentioned, you know, self-care in the, in the, when you put it with fertility awareness, I find for me, it can also be, you know, last week we interviewed, we interviewed one of our board members about kind of relationships and how fertility awareness plays into relationships. And I think that fertility awareness can, can be part of your like collective relationship care, because you think about intimacy in a different way. And you think about one, your emotional intimacy and two, your physical intimacy. And when not all days are available, you know, if you're trying to avoid a pregnancy, then it kind of, it's like a reminder. It's kind of like a, Hey, today's an available day. You know, do you want to like have that type of connection with your spouse? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so it's like a collective relationship care. Um, yeah, those were just the two thoughts I had. Yeah. It's like a intentionality, I think adds a layer of that along with self-awareness. And, um, and I think to your first point, I definitely think everybody's ready to like get back (laughs) out there for sure. Um, but one of the themes that has been coming up with my clients and a lot of our work is that this year or this, you know, pandemic has really been an invitation to recalibrate and to say, okay, this is how I was living my life Mm pre-pandemic. Everything got scaled back and taken away you know, during the pandemic. And now that we get to start to re-enter and start to resume normal activities, now I really have this opportunity to decide how I want to approach it, right? Do I want to make changes? Because now I've had this sort of like fresh start almost where I can say, okay, I've had a year of not going to barbecues. Um, You know, that's something I really enjoy. So that's a priority in my life. But doing, you know, I don't know, maybe there's like a book club or something that, you know, you've been part of for ages and you really don't love, but you don't know how to get out of it. Right. This was like your opportunity to kind of cut ties with it or something, you know, for example. So I think it does require some like reflection, I think, and discernment for sure. But I think this has really been an opportunity, like an invitation to recalibrate and to say, did I like what I was doing before? Were there any changes I need to make? And now's the time to make those changes as you go back in. So you know, if you are a chronic overbooker and it's thinking about how can I not overbook my schedule, looking back at, well, what was important to me? And then what did I just fill my time with kind of needlessly? And can I get rid of those sorts of things too? So um, just a thought there to your point. Yeah. And I think the thing that you were talking about that really struck me was this idea that fertility awareness is a discipline and that self-care is really a discipline. And that both acknowledge that one size fits all solutions don't really jive with how to take care of ourselves as individuals and, you know, with individual dignity and individual needs. And that's where one of the reasons that I beat the drum for fertility awareness, because pretty much 
every other avenue of dealing with our fertility and our mod- modern culture is telling us exactly the opposite that one size fits all is fine that you you know your fertility is the same as everybody else's your cycle is the same mm-hmm. as everybody else's just use this one solution you'll be fine don't worry about it and fertility awareness goes the complete opposite route mm-hmm. and says no we're all unique our cycles are unique our bodies are unique and here's how you can best recognize that uniqueness and care for it. So just like, you know, the the self-care thing isn't a one-size-fits-all, different options for different people. Uh, fertility awareness does a really good job of, of fitting into that same mentality. Yeah, I agree. And I think that that is a really empowering thing too, right? I talked about earlier, just really wanting my clients to feel like if something didn't sit well with them or if they had questions that they absolutely have a right and deserve to go and find those answers. And so it's great that there are instructors out there and practitioners, you know, trained in all of these methods to help you find the right one that is the best fit for your lifestyle and your cycle and what your goals are and all of those things I think is really, really cool because it, it, it you're right, Grace, it is this reminder that it's not, we don't have to like fit ourselves to one standard or like accept that there's only one way of doing things but that there really is this invitation to say okay there are so many options out there and I can find one that works best for me and the life that I'm living doesn't mean that it won't be a discipline or it won't be hard or there's some like a learning curve and all that sort of thing but it's just this invitation instead of saying well we have to completely sort of like shut down this side of yourself or you know, that this is your only option that you can choose and there are options available to you and you get to pick them and figure it out and uh, really kind of celebrate that uh, opportunity, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. I always tell my clients too, I'm like, never underestimate the power of hormones. They are so powerful. (laughs) And a lot of what we experience, I don't want to say can be boiled down to hormones, but a lot of the things that we experience, you know, bonding, that's oxytocin, progesterone can, can, you know, really help sort of heal and soothe and, and it plays a big role in how we handle stress. And estrogen plays a big role in how we feel motivated and how we feel even like self-esteem estrogen can, can play a role in that. And I'm trying to think, you know, as I went through my most recent pregnancy, I remember how the closer I got to my due date, the more conservative I started to be about COVID about um, every, you know, everything I, I started to make different decisions as I got closer to my due date. And I remember telling someone, oh, it's just my hormones. And they said, it's not just your hormones. And I said, well, of course it's not. But the hormones probably, my hormones have an invested a vested interest in me making choices that keeps this baby alive. Mm-hmm. And it happens also with the males. Males, you know, as they get, they become fathers, they make different choices. So I think they do play a big role in how we go about our day and how we I always tell my lactation clients, you know, your breastfeeding hormones are reading for you. Like they want you to succeed. They want you to, you know, uh, new moms have all the right hormonal cocktail to deal with the stressors of new motherhood. And I don't know, that's cool. And I think it's an important piece that 
when you go through fertility education, you get that, oh, I'm not crazy kind of reminder. Like I was built this way. I was meant, I was meant for this. Yeah, exactly. There's a design. So, and I think that if you can, like Cassie, you were talking about understanding the role that each hormone plays or contributes to how maybe you're feeling at that point where that hormone is in play. And I think that that also just gives you a deeper understanding maybe of how you're feeling in a moment, right? If you can say, Mm -hmm. oh, this, like, this is what estrogen is for and it's higher right now in my cycle or it's lower right now in my cycle. And so I can see how it's influencing how I'm feeling, but I can see the purpose behind it, right? And that's something that often when I have clients who have anxiety and we talk about what is anxiety and it's, you know, in a very simplistic explanation, it's your body, uh, right? looking for danger or thinking it sees danger when there maybe isn't danger there. Right. And so all of the changes that happen in your body when you're experiencing anxiety are meant to help you, right. They're meant like you need all of those things happening. If there was a bear jumping out at you from a cave, right. You would need to have, um, you know, increased muscle tension and reactivity and you would need your digestion to slow so that all of the energy and the blood flow can go to other parts of your body. You need to make sure that you are getting more oxygen to your brain. So you're breathing more quickly and more shallowly and your blood pressure needs to go up and all of those things, right? So you can get away and get yourself to safety. It's just not helpful if you're in a situation <laughs> And you don't need that, right? So it's your body's trying mm-hmm. to be helpful, but just in the wrong context, or maybe being overly helpful and not actually being helpful, right? And I think you can apply a similar uh, perspective to hormones, right? And health, like they are meant to be helpful for you, but if they're not in the right sort of uh, level or combination, then they can start to affect you in a negative way. And then that's where something, um, you know, that your instructor or practitioner recommends can help to kind of bring you back into balance, but you can't know all those things are happening if you're not tuning into yourself, right? If you're not recognizing, oh, I'm feeling anxious or you're not recognizing, you know, that there are changes happening when you're charting in your cycle and you're noticing these patterns, right? Yeah. And especially in transitional seasons, I find, you know, when someone is, you'd mentioned charting postpartum or someone going through perimenopause or, you know, those transitional seasons are sort of naturally hormonally rocky. And so that's where, you know, we find some extra support is needed, you know, Mm -hmm. um, I'm not an expert in, well, to me, that would be where the self-care piece would come in. You know, that's the environmental stuff that you can control. Yes. You may not be able to control your hormones and that at, that at that juncture, but you can control the outside stressors. And I talk about a lot too, you know, there's this list that them provides of all the things that affect your hormones. They say, you know, diet, weight, sleep, there's like all these kind of factors, but I always talk about how stress is the number one, the number one, because stress encompasses more than just, oh, I'm stressed because I have a, a big to-do list. Stress is, you know, having a babysitter quit or stress is not having the communal care that I would argue, you know, we're supposed to have. Like we don't live in communities that we feel supported necessarily. Stress is the fact that we are watching Netflix till 12 p.m. You know, stress is like a big thing. And and the cycles and, and all of the reproductive hormones are super sensitive to it. And so that's the thing that you know, I encourage all of my clients, if you can manage just a little bit of the stress in your life, your hormones will thank you for it. 
So we like to ask our interviewees a question, like as a closing question, what gives you hope for women's health coming, you know, going forward in the next year, five years, 10 years? Mm-hmm. I think that for me, just seeing anytime I have a client who really takes her health into her own hands, um, you know, cause my, my role is definitely in that area supportive. I can't give them the answers, but I can encourage them not to give up and to, you know, be help, be hopeful and be assertive and, and empower them to go out and to do, you know, what they think is best for themselves. And so I think just seeing more and more of that happening with my own clients, but then also hearing stories of, you know, that other women choose to share, you know, either through social media or articles or books or those things, I think just gets me really excited about thinking about people who are kind of making decisions for themselves and not just saying, well, it's always been this way. So it has to be this way. Right. But kind of being, um, choosing to be informed, choosing to empower themselves and do something different and something that I think is really valuable. So I think just seeing that happening more and more is just really exciting for me and makes me really happy to, to hear it too. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, as you thank noticed, you. Thanks for having baby. me. It was a, it was a pleasure. I love chatting with you both. I fell asleep, I fell asleep oh, after no. all. <laughs> <laughs> you were right. If you don't pressure him to fall asleep and you say he doesn't need to, then he's like, okay, fine. <laughs> Murphy's law, man. It's the strongest one in parenthood. I swear. It's so true. <laughs> Thanks for listening. I hope you get a chance to practice some authentic self-care today or this week. Our next episode will be our last for this season. We're interviewing Dr. Rabal, IVF doctor turned restorative reproductive care practitioner. She has an amazing story that we hope you will enjoy. Bye for now. Bye.